Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? It's a lot more of a a live crowd than I thought we would have whenever I said good morning. Anybody else been up since six, uh, no, five o'clock this morning? Just me? Okay, a couple people in the room, so we're a little bit more awake than uh, the rest of you who slept in a little bit longer. Um, No, we're so glad that you guys are here this morning with us, whether you're here in the room, you're online, or even down in the cafe this morning. We got a decent-sized crowd uh, down there, so that's pretty um, exciting. So before we dive into our Bible study this morning, and so some of us can wake up a little bit more, I thought I would just share a little story uh, from yesterday. So I had taken my wife to Springfield, uh, and we got the Lord's Chicken at Chick-fil-A. Amen? Amen? Okay. So we uh, we ended up going there for uh, eye doctor porn appointment for her, and uh, she ended up having to go get her eyes dilated. And they told her on the phone, hey, you need to have someone come with you so they can drive because, well, you're not really going to be able to drive um, when your eyes get dilated because you're going to be super sensitive to light, uh, your vision's going to be a little bit blurry. So whenever we left the doctor's office, Tori was kind of clutching my arm because she's like, oh my gosh, the sun's just bright. I can't really see, and I'm a good husband, even though I've been only married since June. I'm like, ah, maybe I could let her walk by herself, but I'll just uh, be the good guy. Uh, And so we got to the car, and then we ended up making a detour before we went to go to Chick-fil-A, and we're going to this bookstore, and we're we're walking to uh, the front step, and she's just clutching me very, uh, she's clutching my arm really tight, and I'm like, I could be really mean right now and be like, oh, there's a hole or something else. And so I'm like, okay, oh, hey, we gotta go over here trying to play it, like going away from the door, making her go toward the curb. She's like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to lead me in a direction I don't need to go into, go to the bookstore. I'm like, okay, I'll be nice for once. But it it made me think a little bit. Um, What does it look like for us to walk well with people? And that can often be something that's very difficult because of life circumstances, because of situations uh, that, that take place. Our eyes can get blurry sometimes and we can just be, um, yeah, our focus can be off from where it really needs to be. This morning, um, before we actually go into our Bible study um, in Acts chapter 9, uh, I need to give a little background to one of the main characters in the story that we're going to be hearing about today. And you may have heard of him before. His name is Saul. And so Saul, he's a Jew from a place called Tarsus. And he had, um, he had studied under a religious teacher named Gamaliel, who was very influential, very well-known, very well-versed in uh, God's law. And so Saul had gone on to become a Pharisee, someone who is known for being a strict observer of the law. And these are the same group of people that Jesus often was condemning because of how uh, they were overburdening people, how they would neglect mercy, how they would neglect justice, how they would neglect faithfulness and just focus primarily on external righteousness, making it look like everything was perfect in their life when it really wasn't the case. 
Scripture tells us that Saul was a murderous menace. In uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 9, it tells us that he was breathing threats and murders against the followers of Jesus. And so Saul, he had a plan that he was going to go to Damascus, um, a place that he would have to get extradition orders to go and arrest Christians in Damascus because he was in Jerusalem. And so he goes to the high priest saying, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. And this is who I'm going to bring back. And so his plan was to arrest them and take them to Jerusalem where they would be put on trial and where they would be executed. But the plan that Saul had never really came to fruition because on his way there, he was blinded by a light and he encountered Jesus. And Jesus asked him the question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's given instruction by Jesus saying, rise and go into the city and you will be told what to do. And so the men that were with him led him by hand to Damascus, where he was going to encounter a man, a faithful disciple named Ananias. And so Ananias is frightened because he knows Saul's reputation. He goes around killing Christians. And so Ananias, he was reminded by the Lord saying, um, Saul, he is a chosen instrument. I'm going to use him. Whether or not you believe it, I'm going to use him. And so Ananias, he does what the Lord says. And so when Ananias and Saul, they come together, Ananias lays his hands on Saul's eyes. The very eyes that were blinded by the light, the eyes that could no longer see. And as he prayed, the scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. So from that very moment, Saul goes on to preach Jesus. So the same man who was persecuting Christians ended up going and preaching the gospel he once persecuted. So he goes and preaches in Damascus and there's a crowd of people there who are questioning what Saul is doing. They're like, isn't this the same man who was wreaking havoc not too long ago in Jerusalem? Wasn't this the same man who was killing people for proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so as Saul continued to preach, as Saul continued to grow in knowledge and wisdom of the Lord, he strengthened. But at the same time, while he is growing stronger, the people in the city are growing. They're very confused by what's taking place. And so the Jews, they plot to kill him. Saul's ministry has been faithful. And we know that because scripture tells us that whenever some of the, um, whenever they were coming to kill him, some of the followers took it upon themselves to lower him down the wall so he could escape the city, to escape the persecution that he once led. So that's where our story picks up today in Acts chapter nine, verse 26 through 31. If uh, this is your first time at Renaissance and you don't have a Bible, Here's a tip for you. There are Bibles underneath your seats in front of you and behind you. So if you want a Bible, take it. We have more that we can put under the seats. Or if you just want to read a Bible instead of looking on the screen where the words will be, you can do that as well. So here's what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It said, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas 
took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke to them and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out, sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to gather together as a church family, to study your word, to, to sing praises of how great you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. I pray that you encourage us and inspire us as we study together over the next few moments. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Everyone said, amen. So, in verse 26, it says, when he had come to Jerusalem, Saul attempted to join the disciples. They were afraid of him because they didn't believe that he was a disciple. So Jerusalem was the very place that Saul had started his hunt for Christians. But now he's back. He's back and he's no longer able to associate himself with the Pharisees. And so he's, he's like, oh, what better group of people to associate myself with than the disciples? Because they're preaching Jesus. I'm preaching Jesus. It's a match made in heaven, right? No, it's not. They're afraid. I mean, if we're all being honest, wouldn't you? I think I would be to, to a certain extent. They knew that Saul was killing Christians. Maybe even so much as some of the Christians that were killed might have actually been some of their friends. Maybe they were thinking, okay, maybe, is, maybe Saul's a spy. Maybe he's trying to trap us and then take us to trial. That's it. Saul was rejected because of his reputation. He killed Christians. Most of us, we've probably been in some kind of situation before where we're loaded with baggage, unable to move forward just because um, it keeps getting brought to light. And so it's hard to even take the next step forward when someone's like, oh, you remember that one time? And you're just like, oh my gosh. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. They thought, this man is trying to kill us. Pastor Robert Madu said, you don't know what wilderness some people were born into. That's why the church needs to love quicker than judging. Amen. So based upon everything that we have read so far, does Saul fit the mold of a disciple? Does he? Does Saul fit the mold of a disciple? For us to actually be able to know what a disciple is, we have to ask that question. What is a disciple? What is a follower of Jesus? One of my favorite stories that you can find in Matthew, it's the shorter version of the story. Uh, Luke goes into a little bit more detail about it. But uh, it talks of how there were these fishermen who were going out uh, on a late night fishing expedition and they came back to shore with nothing. And Jesus is preaching along the shore and he tells these fishermen, 
who are pros. He says, go back out into the deeper part of the water. Looking at Jesus like he's crazy. Just go back out. Go back out to the deeper part of the water. And so they go. They toss their nets to the side of the boat. And they catch this huge haul of fish. They're, they're in awe. They're astonished at what has just taken place. But then they come to the realization of, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I don't need anything to do with you, Jesus. I am a sinner. And I love the way that Matthew puts it in Matthew chapter four, verse 19. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's saying, I will make you fishers of men. So I'm going to break down that one verse into three statements real quick. That first one, follow me. Obviously, we can put the dots together here and realize, okay, to follow someone, that means I'm following their lead. Follow me is an invitation from Jesus. And it's not to a specific destination like we might think, but it's an invitation to a journey. Jesus is speaking to that journey of following him or process, I guess. He's speaking to that because he says, I will make you. Not you will make you, but I will make you. That means you're being changed by Jesus. He's giving us instruction of a new identity. He's saying, I'm going to make you into something. I am the one who is changing you, not you. Your identity is found in him. He is the one who is molding you. He is the one who is crafting you. He is the one who is shaping you. And he tells them of what they're going to do. He says, you're going to be fishers of men. You are going to be committed to this mission. He says, you're gonna be fishers of men. You're going to make disciples. You're going to tell people about me. And so when Jesus had invited um, his disciples to follow him, they left everything. He was committed to being intentional about caring for others. He was intentional about holding people's hands and walking with them. And even so much about giving them new tools for their mission. Because in the following verse in 420, it says that they left everything to follow Jesus. Meaning they left their fishing nets. They left all their fishing supplies behind just to follow Jesus. So who's walking with Saul? In verse 27, it says, but Barnabas took him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road how he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, he's a Levite, which uh, he's, he serves in the temple. He's an assistant to the priest. Um, but I think it's what his name means that is more impactful for us. His name means son of encouragement. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him. That reminds me of everything that has taken place in Saul's life so far since he encountered Jesus. 
because every single step of the way since he started following Jesus, he's had, had at least one person who's been walking with him every single step of the way. When he was blinded and he met Jesus, he was led by hand to Ananias. When the Jews were plotting to kill Saul, disciples took him by night and led him down the wall so he could escape. And now you have Barnabas who took him and brought him to the disciples. Did Barnabas know Saul prior to this? Maybe, maybe it's just that Barnabas had a great sense of discernment. That has to be it, right? We don't know. Barnabas knew that Saul was being sincere about proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so Barnabas became an advocate for Saul. He's saying, use my reputation. Don't worry about yours. I will help you. Barnabas became an advocate for him because he followed Jesus. Jesus is our advocate. Therefore, we should advocate for others. Scripture tells us that Satan is the accuser. So let's consider this for a moment. What's going to be more helpful for growth? Accusing people? or advocating for people? I would say the latter. Barnabas was an encourager for Saul. Instead of operating out of fear, instead of operating out of prejudice, he knew what had to be done. He stepped up to the plate, he shows grace to Saul, and he loved Saul, even when no one else was going to. But that's who Barnabas is. Barnabas is an encourager. Pastor Craig Rochelle says, when we focus on Jesus and the way that he loved, then others will know our love is sincere. So Barnabas, we can tell that he was focused on Jesus because he had sincere love for Saul, despite his reputation. So after Barnabas goes to the plate for Saul, Saul gets back to work. He gets busy. Here's what it says in verse 28. It says, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers had learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So God was still working on Saul. For a period of time, he'd been running with the model of I'm doing everything all by myself. I don't need anyone else because his reputation had preceded him. But Saul needed a little bit of help from his friends, if we're being honest. He's, getting, he's having to get used to being dependent upon other people like a Barnabas. And so he's busy trying to proclaim the name of Jesus boldly and the Hellenists, which who, they're just a bunch of Greek speaking Jews, okay? They're trying to kill him. And so Saul needed others around, some unknown disciples. They come to the plate for Saul. These unknown disciples, they help him escape Jerusalem. They send him to Caesarea and they send him off to Tarsus. 
And we end up seeing what happens to the church, not to Saul, not to Barnabas, but to the church in verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And it was being built up, which in the Greek, it says strengthened. The church was being strengthened and walking in fear of the Lord. Real quick, before we finish that, I know some of us can easily read into something and see fear and be like, okay, that means terror. That means afraid. That's not what it means here. It means to be in awe of, to be reverent of, to have a respect of the Lord. And it goes on to say, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what happens to the church? It multiplied. See, it doesn't matter the opposition or the difficulty or how sly an enemy may be. God's plan is to build his church. And his plan to build the church is far greater than anything that you or I am going to be able to comprehend or imagine. What I do know is I want to be a part of whatever God is doing. And I say that only because I've seen the way that God has moved in my life over the past 30 years. I've seen how God has moved in the life of friends and family members and even complete strangers. And that just inspires me to know that God is going to do something. The big question is, of, is are we going to be a part of it? Are we going to be a part of what God is going to do? And that starts with us following Jesus. Christian author John Mark Comer says, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means you live the way Jesus lived. You take his life. You take his teachings. You make that your template. You make that your model. You make that your pattern. That's how you know what it means to follow Jesus. For a little um, over a decade, I uh, led a student ministry here in town. And so being in the same spot for even seven years, you develop a lot of relationships with people. And I can probably tell you story after story of the good, the bad, and the ugly of leading a student ministry. And I can even think of some of the times where, um, yeah, I wasn't so great whenever it came to youth group as a teenager. But nonetheless, I, I have very fond memories of being able to just hang out uh, with some of my kids. And there's one, um, one boy in particular who... Uh, whenever he was like in fifth grade or something, his sisters were going to the youth group and he would come to the church. He would walk to the church and be like, I wanna to go to youth group because my sisters are at youth group. And I'm like, wow. And as he was a part of youth group, we all know how teenagers can be sometimes, right? They can be fun, they can be helpful, but also at the same time, they can be like, oh my gosh, you're frustrating the snot out of me and I'm, oh, you annoy me. But anyhow, um, 
there are a lot of moments of frustration with this one particular boy because I could see the potential in him for what he could do. Cause like he plays uh, basketball and football and he's a leader on and on, uh, on the football field, on the basketball court. And I'm like, I know you have the potential. I know you can do it. And there was a moment in time I got super frustrated because I'm like, you're not getting it. But then I was reminded by the Lord, guess what, Chris, at that age, you didn't get it either. There was a point where, uh, there was a point, I think I might've been like 12 or 13 where, um, I don't know what we did in Sunday school, but uh, maybe we were just that obnoxious. Uh, but I remember one week in particular where we almost made our Sunday school teacher quit. And that made me go like, okay, well, Chris, if they put up with you, you can put up with other people as well. Not put up with people like it's a bad thing by any means, but you're gonna do life with people. So what's your attitude going to be about it? Are you going to walk alongside people? Or are you just gonna be like, Ugh, what's wrong with you? And so it was in that moment where I had to choose, okay, I wanna be someone who is going to be able to help guide not only this kid, but everyone else that I encounter, whether I'm leading student ministry or whatever else in the church and help people find Jesus. So for us to be able to make more room for Jesus, we have to begin making room for others. We have to walk with people like Jesus did. We have to walk with people like Saul, the way Barnabas did. And there's things from this story, there's three things that I just wanna pull from this story today that I think are helpful for us as followers of Jesus, as we strive to help other people know about his truth and his love and his grace. The first thing is humility. Barnabas was an encourager. Saul accepted his help. Are we willing to serve people? The work God does is not about you or I, okay? I don't know if you knew that, but it's not about us. It's all about Jesus and will always be about Jesus. In Luke chapter nine, verse 23, it says that, um, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We have to deny ourselves, we have to take up our cross daily and we have to follow him. And that can be hard because life happens, right? I'm not up here acting like I have everything all figured out. By no means am I perfect. But I know as a follower of Jesus, I have to stay faithful and I have to be obedient to him. Sometimes I'll hear people be like, yeah, I'm bringing my family and friends to church. One, I think that's great. But at the same time, an hour a week, yes, it is impactful, 
But if you're around family and friends all week long, the time you spend with them all throughout the week is going to be, it's going to enhance everything that happens on a Sunday morning. Your example is going to speak volumes into your family, your friends, strangers, coworkers, whoever. If you're faithful, if you're obedient, if you're humble. So humility, that's the first thing. The second thing is trusting God. Are we depending on God or are we depending on ourselves? Are we being independent from God? Back to that verse in Matthew chapter four, verse 19. It says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. But not only that, he's giving us a new identity. He is shaping us, he is molding us, into who he wants us to be. When we accept that invitation, we are surrendering ourselves to Jesus, saying, Jesus changed me to be who you want me to be. Then he says, you're gonna be fishers of men. We accept the invitation. We say, Jesus changed me and we're joining him in the work that he is doing. And lastly, what we can do if we're truly going to join Jesus in his mission is we have to start valuing others. Just like how Saul was led by hand to Ananias, just like how he was lowered from a wall in a basket, just like how he was helped by Barnabas, just like how some unknown disciples helped him escape being killed again. We have to begin valuing other people. And that calls for us to evaluate, well, who am I walking with right now? If anyone. Because we can't value others until we start giving ourselves up. because people's reputations, people's past, people's history, all that stuff. We can hold that hostage over them. When that's not what Jesus is calling us to do, he's calling us to help people. He's calling us to hold their hand. He's calling us to walk with them. There's no such thing as being a solo disciple. We have to begin to appreciate and embrace people. Instead of seeing people as hindrances, we have to begin seeing them like they have value because they do. I'll close with this. Um, earlier this week, I was talking with, with Pastor Jeff about the vision of the church. And he had me look for a couple videos that the church made several years ago when, um, when the church was at the beginning of their building campaign to make this space that we're sitting in today. Because this, this space was made so people could have room. So we would have more room so people could hear about the truth and the love and the grace of Jesus. This space was made. 
for that reason, but it doesn't just stay here. We have to be able to go and live out that mission. But one of those videos that I, that I found was a, a, a testimonial video of how Renaissance has impacted um, their life, how Renaissance has impacted uh, their family, friends, the list goes on. And there were a couple quotes in that video that I wanted to share with you this morning just because I've been thinking about them all week. The first one is that God has placed us in a big family. And we are enveloping more people into it. So with that thought in mind, we have to recognize that no one is perfect, that we are all flawed, we are all imperfect, but we are all in need of a savior, Jesus, who restores us. And he desires to have a relationship with each and every one of us. We need grace because there's not one person in this room that has not done one thing wrong. We all probably have this list of every single thing that we've said, every single thing that we've done. And Jesus says, I'll take that. Jesus loved us even though we didn't deserve it because of our sin. Just like we took communion earlier, remembering what Jesus did for us, taking our sin upon himself so that we could have life, so that we could have freedom. The second quote says that there is no point in us just saying, well, we've rescued enough. We've rescued enough of them. We've gotten them on the right path, so we're good. No. They continue on saying, we have to keep going. That line right there, we have to keep going, has been stuck in my mind all week long. Because it's easy for you or I to just say, yeah, we gotta keep going. But what happens when everything gets tough? We have to be able to have grit. We have to be able to just keep pushing through the difficulty and remember that we need to have just as much grace, not only with ourselves, but with other people too. We have to keep going. It's hard at times because of life circumstances, because of something that someone else did that is now your mess that you have to deal with. Maybe you're just at the end of your rope and you're no longer the one who's in control. We have to keep going. Maybe you're sitting here in the room today and you can relate to Barnabas and you're like, man, I am an encourager. Go find some people that you can walk through in life with and encourage them. Maybe you're more like Saul and you just need someone who's going to encourage you and walk alongside you and step up to the plate for you. There's a lot of ways that you're able to, to find people who are gonna be able to encourage you. I mean, here at the church, 
You can find community in rent groups. You can find community just being downstairs in the cafe with people. You can find community with people just going out to dinner with them. But here's what I know to be true. Jesus doesn't just want us to be one or the other. He doesn't want us to just be Saul. He doesn't want us to just be Barnabas, okay? I know from my life, there's a handful of people I can think of that I have had to be an encouragement for and continue to be one for. But I also know that I need just as much encouragement as I am giving other people as well. I see my time is already up. So I'm just gonna stop because I think I could probably, yeah, I'll just be quiet. So, <laughs> so we're just gonna uh, pray as we go back into uh, worship and sing. Yeah. As we sing together as, uh, uh, as a church family of how great Jesus is and all the things that he's done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word, not only here on a Sunday, but each and every day as we rely on you. Lord, I pray that we are challenged, that we are inspired by the story of Paul, of Saul and Barnabas. Lord, I pray that um, you help us to trust you and to accept your invitation to follow you, that we will submit ourselves to you, letting you be the one who is going to shape us. Letting you be the one who is going to shape us so that we can join you in the mission of telling people about your truth and your love and your grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the way that you meet us here where you meet us in community that we have with one another and the way that you just speak to us through your word. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 